are a very high-demand currency and benefit the United States. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the other, I guess, regulations we understand from some of the reports that are coming out of Russia is that, you know, if you want to buy, say you come from elsewhere in Europe, maybe Germany, you want to buy Russian gas, there's an expectation that you open an account in a Russian bank, um, and I guess that's where you would deposit your foreign exchange. Uh, and uh, there's also uh, some suggestion by Russia of, uh, su- uh, I guess, uh, in the supply of gas, some volume management and uh, some price controls as well. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so so the, the goal is to make sure that uh, these uh, European uh, uh, clients basically are unable to impact the, the Russian economy using the currency channel. The, the second thing is that they, they could basically, basically curtail the volume supplied of gas to Europe, and, and Europe is 40% dependent on Russian gas, mm. uh, give or take. And, and basically, by actually holding off uh, some volumes, the price of uh, gas would shoot up, and you just have to sell less gas to basically make the same amount of money. Because you you're getting more per uh, for, for per cubic foot of uh, gas, now the price goes higher because supply is in in short supply, and basically you're going to have a situation where price uh, shoots up, and then you get the benefit. So it's basically a mechanism to try and counter the impact of uh, of of sanctions and basically support the Russian economy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a sophisticated financial engineering <laughs> and, uh, you know, market uh, and non-market interventions. Uh, I mean, we're seeing effectively, Kwabe, uh, uh, the, I don't know how to put it, I mean, commodity market playbook being written or rewritten in front of our eyes here. No, no, it's, 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 it's significant. And I, I don't think many people in the world expected that uh, this kind of uh, strategy could come from, for example, from Russia. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that. But somehow, I guess, out of desperation and out of pressure, they've managed to come up with a, a plan that works. And and certainly, if they get it, they are able to implement it. And I mean, there, there is a bit of an attempt to broker it that the contract said euros and dollars, and uh, it would be a breach of contract to demand that they, they must be paid in, in rubles. But I guess because they need the gas, he, he probably, uh, uh, Russia would probably get their, their way, and otherwise uh, Europe would be in trouble from a gas point of view, and that would put Germany into recession immediately, not the biggest economy in, in Europe. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I guess uh, also a massive industrial player just in the world. Uh, yeah. which will have ripple impacts and implications for us in the world. Many people say, you know, whenever things happen in the West uh, and they sneeze there, we all catch a cold. It seems a lot of the rewriting of the playbook is also extending to us here in South Africa. Um, and after a bit of delay, uh, we saw the Minister of Finance addressing the National Assembly earlier on today uh, to uh, announce some short-term relief measures to address fuel price increases. Now, uh, quite interested, I guess, this is a two-phased approach. I mean, the first phase is uh, a reduction in the general fuel levy uh, as well. Like, and then I guess the second one are some interesting measures. Let's maybe discuss these in turn. Um, just the first ones around the general fuel levy. Um, many people might ask, okay, so if you're not going to get the money now from the fuel levy, 
won't that leave a gap in the budget? Where are you going to recoup the money? Yeah, uh, I think there's two things that one can can consider. That they did say that because there is the they they plug in the gap by using some of the strategic oil reserves, the popular strategic oil reserves that were sold at one stage at the at the low price. But basically, those have been rebuilt, and essentially, they will release some volume from that to supply the market and. From the revenue, they'd be able to plug the gap in the fiscals that they are basically uh, foregoing by reducing the, the fuel levy by 150 uh, a litre. So, so, so in a sense, um, I mean, there's also, I guess, the suggestion of uh, using some of these strategic crude oil reserves. Uh, maybe, yeah. Kobe, if you could just explain what those are, because uh, even this afternoon, the National Assembly, a lot of you know, lawmakers complaining about South Africa in the past has squandered these strategic uh, crude oil reserves. Are these like physical reserves? Uh, and if so, wh- wh- where, where, where would you find them? Yeah, so, so if they are often in two forms, uh, and most countries in the world have them. So it's basically uh, either you've got a fuel uh, offtake agreement at a, at a certain price and you buy up front at a certain date, and then the supplier can release it to you uh, as and when you need it. That's one side. The other side is where you have actual physical storage, where you basically store this, uh, uh, these reserves, and you are able to uh, tap into them as and when uh, conditions uh, uh, demand. So, for example, let's say there was a, a difficult a situation between South Africa and the crude oil suppliers. And based on that relationship, you are able to basically go to that uh, storage, uh, pump the crude out to the refineries, and the refineries can continue to process or refine and supply fuel into the economy. The economy continues to to run while maybe you are working on a plan to resolve the, the thing that caused a, a challenge. So they can be both physical, but also could be a, a function of agreements that have been paid for, and then you can uh, draw down on them over time. Okay. All right. So a combination, I guess, of physical reserves and also uh, in the form of financial contracts, arrangements, uh, and anything of that sort. Then, I yeah. mean, I guess that, that first part is just only for three months, I understand. Uh, and then thereafter, yes. there's a phase two. And the phase two for me is where I guess uh, a lot of the rewriting of the playbook is concerned. Um, a review of the regulatory accounting system, uh, which of course, I guess, frames and uh, creates margins for many value chain players in petrol. Uh, and then the termination of the practice of publishing guidance on diesel prices, introduction of a price cap on 93 octane petrol, uh, and uh, a reduction of the basic fuel prices and a termination of what is called the DSML levy on 95 unleaded that is sold inland. I guess that might be for transport or whatever. Um, so, so what happens here, uh, Kwabe? And I guess, I mean, a lot of this is, seems like very, very big stuff. I'm not sure it's going to happen by the 1st of June. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, think, I think the temporary uh, element is basically stop, get to time, get to a point where the 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 longer term measures are implemented the ones that we've just spoken about so the reduction the uh, basic fuel price uh, levy uh, and if if i 
I just look at that. Uh, it's currently, or at least as of last month, it was around three rand ninety-three. So they they they're reducing that uh, by three cents. The intention is to reduce that by by three cents. And there is also the demand side uh, uh, management levy or reduction of ten cents that gives us uh, thirteen cents. And then they are going to remove the the cap on the 93 octane. So the 93 octane is the uh, slightly dirtier version of uh, uh, petrol. Uh, uh, and basically, uh, the old plants, for example, like uh, Natref, they still produce quite a lot of that. And that price is reg- regulated. And wh- what the government is trying to do here is that because there is uh, quite an excess supply of the of the 93 octane mm. by removing the cap you basically allow a more aggressive competition from the, the different refineries and that might actually be beneficial to to the economy in that uh, prices would come down on that particular type of fuel uh, compared to the 95 uh, and that would benefit the economy uh, in, in, a, in a sense that the cost would be lower. And then they went on to to, to talk about the the, the termination of uh, uh, publication of guidance on on diesel again. That means mm. they deregulating the the price of of diesel again. That that's the biggest probably that would have the biggest uh, uh, impact because. That is where industry participates in the fuel market. A lot of times, it's like the transportation and logistics uh, companies. That's where they, they, they benefit. And essentially, mm-hmm. by allowing more competition there, instead of regulating the price, uh, the producers can basically take a lower uh, price and therefore benefit the, the suppliers. There'll be a lot more competition in that space. Yeah, yeah. Maybe on this one, Kwabe, before we let it go, I mean, maybe a last question just on this one before we move to our next story. I mean, does this signal the end of the Road Accident Fund as we know it? Um, and somebody might ask, what a ob question. Well, the reason why I ask is because a big part of the funding of the Road Accident Fund comes from that fuel levy. Um, right. Just some of your thoughts on that. I, I doubt that they can end that. I mean, the, the government wouldn't have any way of funding that and if I'm not mistaken, I think it's about two rent uh, twenty, give or take, uh, in in a liter, and they won't be able to replace that uh, in the current uh, state of affairs in the in the budget and fiscal uh, deficits. So I can't see that that going away at all. I mean, if it would be, it would have to come from the central. Uh, bank or I mean from the, the the national treasury, and at the moment we know that the national treasury doesn't have that that kind of money. So I, I don't think it it would ever be taken away anytime soon. Aish. And then Zolake, let's shift away from that I guess and go to the um, uh, platinum sector, Northam Platinum. Uh, they, they've been in the news over the last while, and uh, I guess for the benefit of our listeners, you might explain. Uh, why they've been in the news in relation to Royal Bafukeng before we get into uh, the uh, half-yearly numbers that they put out for the year ending uh, 31 December 2021. Yeah, certainly. So, so what, what uh, I mean, Royal Bafukeng is one of the platinum uh, miners uh, in the uh, western limb of the, of the Bushveld, and they 
have uh, three operations that uh, they've been uh, operating three months that they've been operating, and certainly more recently, what they did is they went into a competition in Pala Platinum, uh, sought to acquire Royal Bafuking, and Northern kind of entered the fray and acquired the Royal Bafuking Nation uh, stake uh, of around 32, 33%, mm. and basically uh, blocked uh, Impala's way to towards uh, gaining control of the of that asset, and that's been the big story. And they've managed to increase their stake to just under 35 percent, where a mandatory offer would be required. But essentially, it's been quite a big uh, uh, back and forth between them and Impala, and Impala has progressed to a point where they've now opened their offer because they're over the 35 percent. They've opened the offer to everybody. And it is clear that uh, Northern is not going to be uh, releasing their 35% uh, uh, to that uh, Impala offer because the Impala offer was at around 160. They, they basically paid around 180 for its stake. So they would be making a loss and unlikely to sell at that. But that is something that I think has kind of affected the results to some extent in terms of management mm. focus in the in the last results. Yeah, and always sad, I guess, to hear about fatalities in any mining operation. Um, and uh, I guess uh, also in line with that, I'm quite interested in that operating profitability number. I mean, they managed to sell more in the last financial year than they did, you know, for the first six months uh, of uh, 20, or the last six months, I should say, of 2020. Uh, but uh, the operating profit has been down. What happened on the cost side of things uh, that has, I guess, pushed things out of kilter? Yeah, so so a lot of the sales or part of the sales, uh, while the production was down, uh, and automatically when production goes down, your unit cost goes up because you've mm. got certain uh, fixed over overheads that you have to basically distribute over a smaller amount of ounces. So So the unit cost went up. But what happened is they basically sold uh, some of the production uh, from the stockpiles. And, uh, I think they said they restarted uh, the fairness and they were able to, to process a, a more uh, concentrate. Uh, and they were able to sell that product uh, uh, in the market without production. So that is what has helped uh, the, the, the numbers in terms of what we saw with uh, profit going up uh, just under 70% but sales uh, going up about 17%. So the benefit is that they had their stockpile that was mounted at a much lower cost per unit, and they now managed to sell it and realize a profit that is wider than what they would have realized had they sold the current unit uh, at the current unit uh, uh, price. Mm. Then the other thing, uh, you know, which I found quite interesting, I guess, from this uh, half-year update, um, was not only just you know the return to uh, many capital projects that had been suspended uh, because of the uh, you know path of the pandemic in uh, the second half of 2020, uh, but also I guess some challenges that uh, uh, Northam has experienced in so far as community unrest is concerned, and uh, I think the mention there is of the Boysendal South operations, which um, are continuing to uh, operate now uh, despite some work stoppages due to community unrest in the area. Um, it seems we jump from one spate of unrest to the next. I mean, this is the same mine in 2015 uh, that had the same issues, um, you know, triggering a response and I think setting up a ministerial task team then by 
Minister Ramatlodi at the time. Uh, and it seems we're back at it again. I, I think if you look at it, uh, I think the, the mining companies and northern uh, amongst them, they seem not to be uh, learning uh, from the the past, those past experiences that, that you're talking about. Uh, because what they do is they keep going and looking for BEE partners from outside the communities, mm-hmm. and they get these uh, big names. And at some point, the communities rise up against them uh, because the communities essentially are passive and they get some social uh, contributions. That There isn't any meaningful wealth creation or wealth sharing with them. And that often leads to instability uh, in those in those uh, uh, communities. So I do think that it is a mistake that Northern has committed now for the second time that they went again with a BE partner that was with them a while ago. And the element of community involvement was not meaningful mm. compared to what the, the outsiders are, are getting in the in the transaction. I mean, they made. Uh, a few individuals super rich, and they could have spread that uh, uh, reallocation of the transaction to broader communities. And, and to some extent, that creates a tension between them and, and society, uh, or at least communities mm. where they operate. So, so wait, Zulaka, are you saying that there's a new BE deal in the offing here? Uh, and maybe you might just want to give us a bit of context on how the previous deal was unwound, because Northam does mention that as well in this update. Yeah, so, so basically what they had, they had a transaction with uh, a BE partners just called Zambezi, mm-hmm. and Zambezi went into the market and raised preference shares uh, that basically would have been able to convert into northern shares, mm-hmm. uh, or it meant that if the, the share was below the... The, the preference share value, Northern would have had to pay for the gap. And what Northern started doing was they started going to the market and buying these preference shares uh, to basically unwind that structure. And eventually they uh, internalized the whole structure of uh, basically that was the BE funding. And the BE shareholders realized a substantial value mm. uh, in that process. And, and then they, they redid that transaction uh, again, with the same BE partners, uh, wow. and basically with some of the profits being reinvested. Uh, so, so basically, Northern bailed out the previous the the BE partners, and then the BE partners reinvested some of the proceeds mm. uh, into the transaction. Now they've gone and done a transaction, massive transaction to the Royal Bafoukeng, which gives them. Uh, even more empowerment credentials, but shareholders have been diluted, and the communities have also uh, lost lost out on opportunities. And, and they claim that they have uh, created 400,000 indirect jobs, but mm. those things would not count unless there is tangible uh, benefits that are going to the communities. Uh, uh, around their mind. So yeah, yeah. I, I do think that w- the point you're making about the, the lessons of the past, I don't think they are learning anything from those mm. lessons. They, they, they should have done a much better deal that involved the community, and yeah. they didn't.
Look, I mean, I'm just looking at at the moment uh, uh, as well, like a, like a 2014 presentation, right, from from Northam, uh, and yep. it's on the Zambezi Platinum website, uh, and I can certainly share the link on on Twitter after this. But this is at the time the first deal was struck, um, and it's uh, for me quite striking. I mean, this was in 2014, so that means the 10-year deal would have wound up in 2024. Uh, but some yep. of the consortium members, I mean, are are probably not the type of person who's coming from a community alongside these operations, but very well-heeled people in, you know, high flyers in the world of business. I mean, former CEOs of Mnet, you know, uh, former partners go KPMG and, uh, you know, uh, uh, lawyers, attorneys, all manner of people. And I think, you know, that that's the point, that um, we're kind of not evolving even in how we do BE to have meaningful vehicles for community participation and uh, you know, also, I guess, open the ambit of the type of employment opportunities that might arise. Yeah, I, I, I think we, we definitely are not. And you have to ask yourself, what were they trying to achieve mm. by striking a deal with those uh, specific uh, individuals? And it goes back to what is wrong about the uh, old form of BE, because it's basically either people who have influence or have are uh, sitting very close to power that end up benefiting from a transformation project. And that is why our Gini coefficient keeps mm. uh, widening because we essentially, uh, the people who have connections, the people who are at the top, who are already uh, significantly above the breadline, keep getting the benefits because of their proximity to power. And those that are sitting lower down, that need the, 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 the benefits, the economic benefits the most, are not actually benefiting. So, so the, the kind of people that you're seeing in the transactions uh, were actually bailed out, but the, the deal was underwater for a long time, mm. and they were actually bailed out by uh, the, the platinum or the PGM prices running. And as a result, Northern was able to, to basically collapse that uh, BE structure restructure it at a very high price already. So the price rallied after Northern had started buying these uh, uh, preference shares. And basically they got bailed out and they realized the the value and reinvested some of it. But they're super rich. I mean, they they now have a free ride on the back of platinum prices that uh, have now pulled back from Mm. those highs where they locked in the value. What, What would you call this? Free carry via the market? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just the last one. I guess uh, another uh, set of st- uh, economic actors that uh, maybe also don't learn some lessons. ESCOM seemingly doesn't uh, want to sign power purchase agreements for the uh, emergency renewables procurement. Uh, and I think um, frustrating many people, but we have seen this before. It has happened uh, in previous uh, bid windows. Um, what do you make of this one? Yeah. I would think of it as more of a uh, negotiation tactic. Mm. Uh, I think we all remember that they significantly overpaid for the first round of uh, energy purchases, and they were making significant losses in that in that, uh, in, that in that uh, first round. And as they've been going over time, they've been the price has been coming down on those big windows. But I think what they are trying to do by delaying the signature is to try and get to mm. a more reasonable. Kwabe, Kwabe, uh, let's do this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Please pause there for me for a second because we quickly need to pay our bills. But uh, I'll allow us to conclude when we're done here.
Africa's most awarded beer, Carling Black Label, wants to reward you for helping them become the beer with over 50 local and international awards by giving away 50 gold medals worth 50,000 rand each. Enter and stand to win by dialing star 120 star 660 hash or connecting on Messenger. Carling Black Label. There's gold inside. T's and C's apply. Enjoy responsibly. Not for persons under the age of 18. This is it. Yeah? You going home for Easter? Sure, Easter is family time. When I see Shai short left, setting our table while on the safari. Safari? Yeah, Joe. Short left has great deals for everyone. So you don't just eat? Sure. From game drives to spa treatments and shisanyama. Yeah, I can organize the machitamos. Share the link, Ntoana. Book now on shortleft.co.za and set your table anywhere in Zanzi this Easter. After all, it's your country. Enjoy it. Because nothing's more fun than a short left. Hashtag TravelWise Mzansi. Cheese and Caesar Plus. What is Mohodi Monday in a matches? To sly and spy goes on Tuesday with a fam. Ama wings is panning on Wednesday. Is kaftini on Thursday. Uz mamele on Friday. Uz kupule. Utenge ilas number ye kota. Saturday. Is tambuska koko exeni. And then Sunday. Is seven colors nabantubako. <laughs> when it comes to food and aromat, same WhatsApp group. It doesn't matter what the occasion is. Food and aromat should never be apart. Aromat nekaulo. To those that like white but love rosé. To the ones that say, let it breathe. And the ones who say, I'm sure it's fine. To the ones who keep it extra. And those who keep it extra light. To the dance floor divas and the chilling overachievers. Whether you have the usual or whatever's open, you're welcome. At Drostyhoff, we create expertly blended wines that say, you're welcome, whoever you are. Drostyhoff, expertly blended wines. And to all of you, stay alive, never drink and drive. Not for persons under the age of 18. Business Wrap. Business Wrap of the Day. On Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Tlawe. Yeah, 16 minutes it is before the top of the hour. Kwabe, uh, just as we wrap up, and it's unfortunate that uh, we had to go to that uh, quick spot break, but just uh, as you conclude your point there on uh, ESCOM and that emergency round of procurement. Uh, I think there are two points that are delaying the, the, the whole process. I think one is the, the plashing, and I think in, in my mind they're, they're using the second point as a, a negotiating mm. te- tactic. Uh, basically, there is a court challenge from one of the losing bidders that uh, uh, that is challenging the, the adjudication process, and basically ESCOM has basically halted that uh, as part of of the whole process. But at the back of my mind, it's also a function that they are trying to negotiate mm. uh, the pricing. Uh, I think there are some controversial winners within that whole yeah, yeah. Uh, emergency package. I mean, we remember the story about some, uh, I think it was called Car Power Ship, mm. uh, the, mm. the, the company that was, uh, I think, tech, tech Turkish, yeah, related yeah. to Turkey. Yeah, yeah. And, and essentially, that's gonna be pumping electricity from the ships into into the land and and charging us for for that mm. and, and and it was quite controversial. There were issues around EIA uh, uh, impact or the yeah. environmental impact assessment that were sure. not uh, complied with initially, but somehow they managed to to land a deal. So so I think there are some issues around the litigation, but I also think that. It could be a strategy to try and negotiate yeah. the the pricing because they make.
so many mistakes in the past on in terms sure. of fashion. But sure. the bottom line is that the the communities and the South Africans are suffering, yeah. and uh, and because we, we're running out of power all the time. Okay, so Quabe. so there's that. There, yeah. ah, unfortunately, my brother, we're gonna have to leave it there, uh, and I can already see. Uh, myself being flagged down there so uh, let's maybe pause on that one and uh, certainly <laughs> one I want us to pick up uh, because uh, renewables are super but uh, we'll leave it there Zola <laughs> as always a pleasure catching up with you and uh, thank you very much thank for you sir.